Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Phil, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on today. You know, uh, uh, you and I have spent some time together uh, in the last couple of months. It's, it's been fun and I'm uh, glad to have you on. Yeah. Well, yeah, Anthony, really appreciate uh the time. I mean, it's been great to connect, uh, as you said, over the last couple of months. You know, uh, we were at a big show down in Dallas and uh, just kind of seeing where the future of, of the, you know, uh, the retail world is going. And there was a lot of great ideas exchanged there. And we got to meet with a lot of great retail people. You know, I, I think it was fun to see people coming back out of their shells and meeting again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's nothing like I think that kind of human connection and, and being able to connect and talk to people about kind of where things are going. Um, and uh, you can just feel, I think, the the vibrancy and um, you know, the just this notion of being alive again. Yeah, that notion of being alive again, right? Feeling, you know, being around it. You know, not that Zoom hasn't added to my life. I mean, for sure, this platform of Zoom and uh, being able to meet with people has added a huge a component of things I, like people I, I can meet with regularly that I, it was difficult to do before. This is has really taken that and made it easy. But I still do crave I still do crave that physical contact, that physical part of it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think you're right. And Zoom has been able to connect. Like, I mean, just this morning, you know, I was on a call with um, you know, somebody from Europe who um, I've known for quite a few years, but hadn't. You know, I mean, we just had a kind of a quick, quick, you know, casual you know, 15 minute kind of uh, catch up. And I mean, those are the kind of things that I think, you know, that, that this, um, this, this level of kind of technology is added. And, and so it's, it's additive, right? It's not, it doesn't replace, I think, I think that human connection, what it does is it just adds to it and, and it allows you to stay connected to people, I think, in a much different way. So, um, and I think you're starting to kind of see that kind of permeate within the retail space. You know, I, uh, the only thing I'm missing now is remember on Star Trek, they had that little, little beam me up Scotty button on their chest, right? right. If I push that little button, I, I need that. That's the next level from here, right? There may be another pandemic we have and we'll get the transporter, right? The device. And uh, my only request is whoever invents that, if I could be transported and lose 10 pounds on the other side, right? So I could land and just be about 10 pounds lighter. That would be a perfect invention. So whoever out there is working on that, uh, this now moment, just remember when I land on the other side of my transport, I'd like to be about 10 pounds lighter and that'd be, that'd be perfect body kind of breaks up in particles and transports, you know, that it, it, it just sheds a couple of particles, you know, along yeah, the way. Like leaves the fat somewhere that can be useful in society. It make makeup out of or something. I don't know, whatever they do with it, whatever they do with that. But, uh, you know, hey, uh, before you get carried away, let's get back into your background. You know, you have a, one of the most diverse backgrounds of anybody I've ever met, you know, uh, uh, from starting from law school and ending up in the retail world. I think the audience really would love to see, hear that, uh, that journey that you went on. Yeah, for sure. Um, it seems like ages ago, but yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm in kind of early 20s, uh, I think graduated with a degree in history and was kind of lost in trying to figure out, you know, what the what the hell I was going to do and um, ended up, you know, went to law school. I remember I was clerking for 
this um, attorney or you know, law office and um, I was meeting with a lot of corporate clients. Like I was sitting there and there was doing a lot of incorporation, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, people that uh, were coming in and, and telling us about their dreams and all the companies that they, and the things they wanted to create. And I was on that side of the table, like sitting there taking notes, figuring out how like, we're just going to incorporate their businesses and the things they wanted to do. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of mundane and boring to be honest with you. Like, I want to be on that side. I want to be the, I want to be the guy that's telling people my ideas and what I want to do and how we can kind of change, you know, the world or the fabric of kind of, of industries. And um, at that point, I, you know, I realized that that was, you know, I wanted to be more on the business side of things. And, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, after law school, uh, went to business school down at Texas A&M, um, met uh, a, um, had a professor who ran the retail studies uh, department um, while I was getting my MBA. And um, after I graduated, moved to San Francisco and started working at Gap, um, started kind of in, in the field operation side of things, and then uh, you know, ultimately moved over to marketing. So from law school to Gap, you know, that's, there, there's a, there, that is not a linear line of development. You know, uh, I, I, I look back at my career and I, I, you know, when you talk about that side of the table, I really can relate to that. I can remember when someone was going to buy a CDO group from me and I was sitting in this group in this big old boardroom in this really fancy company. And I, I you know, they were like, Hey, you know, put the numbers together and put the deal together. And I looked across the table, everybody on the other side of the table and I didn't want to be any of them, right? Even though they had this fancy office, they had this big thing and they wanted to, really, they wanted to buy our people and the, and the clients we had. They were just, you know, we were just in numbers. Like, hey, if I could buy this company, I'd get these, this group of clients. And and then they wanted, the part of the deal was I had to come work for them for a few years. And I'm like, I think I would I, I would jump out one of these windows. If it was, they were up like on 33rd floor or something. I'm like, I will jump out of these windows if I had to do this every day. And, uh, you know, you make these decisions that ultimately change it, you know, so you go from law school, from being a law clerk, and you end up at Gap, you know, that's a, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, life changing in a lot of ways, you know, moved to San Francisco, it's where I met my wife. Um, and, um, and, you know, it was, it was, you know, like, you look at those kind of decisions in life. And, and it was one of those ones where, you know, I think, you know, I generally followed my gut. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people are like, why would you leave law school and, you know, think about things? It just wasn't for me, right? I mean, and, and I encourage people, you know, I mentor a lot of, you know, young entrepreneurs and people, and, and ultimately it's, you have to do what's best for you and follow kind of what's, you know, that, that right path, um, not doing, you know, what other people want you to do. And I think when you, when you, when you have that kind of North Star, it then takes you, it takes the team, it takes things and, and people kind of really can understand and respect that. And um, I've you know, done that with, with my career. I've left a lot of money to your point, like on the table because of certain things. Um, but at the same time, it's what's best and, and, have, <clears throat> and made me, I think, um, the most fulfilled. And uh, it's kind of how I run my businesses today. You know, I, the advice I give every young person, I mean, kids included, go have a hundred jobs. Right. Literally, I, I think the best thing that ever happened to me was I I was young. I'd go to work for somebody. I'd work for one company and then another company. And I was great. I, like, I, I was always, no matter where I went, I was their favorite employee. But I just, like, my whole real point was to get some experience out of it. I, I didn't want to be there forever. I just wanted to go in and, and, and suck up all the knowledge I could get. 
And, you know, truth was I had to answer my pants. I look, look over here and go, well, I've been doing this. I'm like, I can't do this for 20 years. I go over and do something else. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that for 20 years. And I think it served me well. Like having a, having a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things helped me kind of decide, you know, pick something. And, you know, it, I was going to be an accountant, right? And all of a sudden I ended up in construction and then I started pulling on that thread and it just unwound into a career I just loved. I, I loved everything about solving problems and the things. And I would not have known that had I stuck to what my mother wanted me to do was be a butcher, right? She got me my first job as a butcher. I'm like, I've been cutting meat in some public somewhere down in Florida. And, you know, hey, not, hey, not that being a butcher is not a great career. Look, whoever's butchers out there, it's a great career. It just, I wouldn't have had what I loved doing, which is construction. And I just, it really turned out to be something that uh, became a passion uh, for me. And, and you start to really unwind your passions and uh, you start to get that. So as you transition to, to San Francisco and you start to look at the retail world, uh, that's an interesting spot to be in a gap, uh, you know, real diverse company, lots of intelligent people putting things together there. Uh, that had to be a great experience. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I really cut my teeth, I think, both from um, the retail as well as a marketing perspective. Uh, you know, if I, I go back and I look at the talent and the people that I worked with at, at that time, so many of them have gone on to, you know, now are president CEOs of, you know, of a lot of major retail companies. Um, and you, and I look at the talent that was assembled and the people who I had an opportunity to work with it and, and realized it was, it was pretty special. Um, but at the same time, it was also unique. Like I, I'll never forget, um, you know, this was kind of early days of, of online business. And um, I remember, I was talking, I, I had, I was talking to the woman who ran, I guess ran, it was kind of called Gap Direct at the time. Um, and that kind of oversaw all of the, the Gap Inc properties for, from online. And I was in a meeting and I was like, hey, you know what, look, I said, I think really the future is figuring out how to build software, how to scan people's bodies through whether, you know, some level of technology. And at the time, I think you know, mobile phones really weren't uh, that pervasive. And I said, you know, we got to figure this out. I think if there's a way that you can do something where you scan your body in store and create something where you've got like body types, and then you can start working on, you know, it helps with inventory management and all that. And I, I'll never forget, I, I was told that the, one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. She told me, <laughs> and now I'm sitting here going like, and now I'm actually advising a company in the fit space, you know, and, and I'm sitting there going like, I had this idea back in like 2003 or 2004. And I was told that, you know, like laughed out of the room, but you know, so it's like, there's a lot of talented people, but at the same time, I think there was also this, you know, it was in, as an organization, I think they were missing the mark on on what the future could be and, and what the opportunities were. And so ultimately, you know, I, I left there and, you know, started moving more into, I think, the technology space, um, you know, and, and went and ran uh, retail uh, at Nintendo, um, where I was running you know, retail marketing and, and the strategy on, on that side of the business around the height of the Wii. And, and, and that was really fun and exciting. And, you ultimately um, spent six years there, uh, which was which was a blast. Nintendo is a, was an amazing company to work for. Learned a lot, obviously working in a Japanese culture, um, but it, you know that afforded me the opportunity to go to Nest, which was um, you know at the time uh, was you know breaking a lot of ground within um, the connected home space and and really was on the forefront. Uh, and it was there pre kind of Google acquisition. Uh, and again, another wild ride of, you know, and that was really kind of what got me into, you know, 
the startup space and uh, uh, really was such an invaluable um, you know, two years that I spent there. You know, technologies seem to, um, you know, you, you come with ideas like the body scan, right? I, that was definitely a, 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 a genius idea, right? But the fear that there was all these things like, oh, people will never want to scan them and they're going to be afraid who has the data and oh my God, you know, uh, all the stuff that comes up with that. And you can see very quickly as people get more and more comfortable and, and get more and more, uh, you know, the, the technology, will, you know, the, our, our, our ability to adapt it uh, catches up, right? It just takes a little while for us to see it, uh, the vision of it. I mean, people, when I talk about AI, people are like, oh, my God, the robots, they, they all think Terminator. Right. So they, the first thing you think of when you say that they're like Terminator, we're going to have the figure crawling across the street coming at us. And, uh, you know, the, the logic is in there because I really do believe that people take I, things they don't know. Right. And when I don't know something, I pull from all the data I have from the past and, it, and it, whatever, even if it's illogical, I take it and I put it in there. Right. It, you know, hey, people are not going to want to scan themselves because one day I looked in the mirror and I was fat. And I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I got it. But the whole idea is that I don't if I can find a way to to make the shopping experience less intrusive or you know, less friction on it, where I can get things easier, because ultimately what happens to me when I buy online is. I, I can't buy here. My body type cannot buy anything from Amazon, right? I don't know who their sizes are. I don't know who XL uh, in, in Amazon they're, they're measuring, but I get them and the, and the jackets, you know, the shirts are like the buttons are trying to get to you from here. And I, I can't, you know, there's a six inch gap between the two of them. I'm like, yeah, you're XL what XL uh, like, like kids or something. So <laughs> I, I inevitably, I'm always mad. And that whole process is a friction for me. I, so then I can't go buy from Amazon, which really bums me out. Cause I, I, I'm a guy who's moving fast and I want the convenience stuff, right? The convenience factor. And if I could scan my body and know that the clothes that you're making would fit me, that process becomes so much easier. And I can see in the future that, that, you know, being able to do that uh, much easier then and, and trusting it right trusting that the data is going to be out there and you know you guys aren't going to show the whole world that i got a you know i got you know a roll in my belly and you know you're going to put, you know, put it out on, on social media all of a sudden i look here everybody anthony's got a you know look he's got a belly and uh that picture doesn't end up somewhere weird that scan doesn't end up some weird so just trusting that uh you know, you've put together the structures to support the scanning and the, and the opportunity so i think that's the part about technology that's that's hard as, as we look at it just to adapt it yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I was, you know, after I left Nest, you know, I, um, a couple guys I met there, you know, we started this company called Beta. And, you know, really what we were doing was we were creating um, not only experiential retail, but at the same time, we were taking, we were trying to gather and capture a lot of the uh, data in store that you could get online. And, you know, there was this, this fear, well, you know, you've got cameras and all of these things in, in your stores. Is it invasion of privacy? What are you doing? And I think, you know, what we were saying is like, look, this, we're aggregating this data. Like it's not, it's anonymous. And to your point, you know, nobody really cares about seeing what a body scan of you looks like, right? I mean, it's, it's really just saying, look, we're capturing a lot of this data. And then, you know, it's, it's ultimately for your benefit. You know, it's not going to sit there and, and nobody's going to go out and even even if it's ultimately, even if something like that is even hacked, it, who cares? Nobody's going after that. It's 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 in, in trying to do anything with it, right? I mean, you know, the information, the data that you have, it's trying to make better informed decisions for, for businesses and so that, you know, their inventory management, so that they've got the right products there, 
um, you know, a lot of stuff in the fit space today is, is you know, if you look, um, you know, people's body types, your point, like you might have a lot of people that are XLs, but an, an extra large can be different things in different places, right? I mean, you may carry a lot of you, if your weight more in, in your chest versus, you know, another area. And, and I think what it's doing, is just helping inform so that you can create a better product and a better experience ultimately for the consumer. And it's just aggregating it. Now, there's certain things I think you, we have to be very careful of when it comes to privacy, you know, things around financial data, medical data, things like that. But ultimately at the end of the day, like you know, what something that you're capturing in a retail store is just, it's, it's in, you know, I think those are the things where we, you can kind of say, hey, no, this is, this has a much different kind of benefit and, and it's not intrusive. Um, and in fact, it's, it's generally, you know, fairly anonymous. I, I think that I, I worry that it's going to be like my buddies when I was a kid making fun of me, right? L literally, when I think about someone capturing my, my scan, it's going to be, it brings you right back to being 12 years old and my friends on the playground making fun of me. And, and, and literally, I, I think that that's where it comes from. Because when I really think about it logically, I'm like, <laughs> really? My scan and the other 50 million scans that are out there, uh, you know, maybe, you know, and as we start to, you know, grow these technologies and learn from them, you know, and we break through the, the the fear or the embarrassment or the thought of embarrassment or the story that we create up about you know being a, you know that really noticing that's not anything logical that's a 12 year old you know belief i'm hanging on to and i really look and go great i can see a future where custom shirts are made right a shirt that's i, I get scanned and that shirt model is fit exactly for me hey i like it a little bit loose here Right. And I can custom make a shirt that goes right to the production line and boom, I get a shirt that fits me in a couple of days. Right. I can see a future where that happens. And I don't, you know, if you think about what retail has been to date, you, you know, you build a, a type that's close, but never perfect. And, you know, you, you're kind of, everybody has to pick from those, but you know, as we get to, you know, our society is getting smarter and smarter. As I look around the upgraded experience is what everybody's looking for. You know, uh, not just, you know, not just the generic, uh, you know, close enough for me. Now I want a, an upgrade experience that works for me. And, you know, I, I think that's a topic I want to get into next. Because I think you're, you have this huge experience with the uh, pop-up store, or I'm sorry, you call it the pop-in store. And I, one, I want to make the, the, the differentiate between the two of those is, you know, that experience, the upgraded retail experience that people have, not just going in and, and shopping the shelves, but something is tailored more to a group of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, I, I think to your point, you're going back and, and looking at, at, at tailored opportunities, right? I mean, at one time, I mean, if you look at something that was very bespoke, it was only something that if you had, um, if you had the money to go out and buy something, you could get that customized, right? I mean, it was, you know, if you think about kind of going, you know, the, the days of going and getting a bespoke suit in, in London and Savile Row, like, I mean, like that's what it was about when you think about it. So people have this connotation that if you wanted something customized, that it was gonna be expensive. And I think through technology, you can go on, um, whether it's building a pair of you know, Nikes on, on, on their store and, and customizing that. Um, you know, we, we have the capabilities now to do that in the furniture space at, at, at uh, model number, um, you know, the company that I'm running now. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, I think it was always about creating these, you know, curated, um, experiences for people and then allowing for some level of, you know, customization on top of it. Uh, but, you know, as we were talking about, you know, creating kind of these unique experiences in the physical space, 
um, you know, there's, I think there is kind of what people know as a, a pop-in and, and that, or excuse me, a pop-up shop. And, and that's, you know, where uh, a brand takes a space and all of a sudden, you know, they go out and, and rent and lease a space for a, a short period of time. And, you know, that's, that's kind of traditionally uh, what a pop-up, but I felt like, and what we were doing at Beta was we were working with a lot of brands and we were kind of calling them pop-ins and in that we owned and controlled the four walls, but then we allowed brands to come in and on a temporary basis, have an own kind of mini, you know, shop and shop, you know, not for an extended period of time, but maybe for a limited period of time where they controlled um, the space, they owned you know, the, the product, they owned um, the experience and we worked with them to build it. And I think those type of collaborations are really unique um, because again, it gives customers better experiences. It creates a sense of urgency in trying to drive traffic because you know that it's not gonna be there for a really long period of time. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it brings unique brands that maybe only, that never had a physical space or they didn't have the, um, the resources both through you know, maybe the, the financial resources to go out and to rent a space on a long-term lease or do maybe even have just the, the, um, the staffing to be able to man something like that. And those were the things we wanted to do and create you know, unique opportunities within physical retail. And I think you're seeing a lot of that. And I think collaborations are, are just becoming, um, I think almost table stakes for most brands these days. You know, I, I see that uh, retail world is, you know, we're coming back online, right? People are, are wanting to go out and feel the fabrics and be, see the, you know, feel the, be out in public and, and go to retail world. But, you know, retailers are, are a little, a little scared, right? As, as they start to go back out there and they're, you know, signing leases and, and timeframes and fighting over properties with other retailers, as they start to look at it, you know, I think it becomes this very, uh, you know, we're seeing retailers really look at strategies that, that are all encompassing. It can't just be bricks and sticks, right? You got to, you got to, you know, all right, great. I got, I'll pick a couple of key spots where I can put a flagship store. I know it's going to work. I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll plant my stake there. And, and some of those are even lost leaders. You know, they're going, you know, the Michigan avenues, the Times squares, the places where the brands want to be seen internationally. Every time you travel to New York city, you're, you're seeing the swatch store and you know, the rent that they're paying to go there. Great. Right. But as I, as I leave that and I have a customizable watch or watch experience or, or the ability to buy a watch, uh, you know, with, with, with different face colors and different brands. And, you know, can I do that online? Once I've seen that, can I, can I now do that online? Once I figure out what kind, I, I like this kind of plastic watch. I, or I like this one over here, this model over here. I thought it was cool, right? I wore that for 20 years. It was great. And uh, I want to go get another one. I can now, uh, you know, I, I, I might be able to do that online. So uh, I think brands are starting to look at both the experience of having uh, some key locations for real estate and, and doubling down on, on those locations and, and building really great, great experiences in those stores. And then, you know, doing what you're talking about, the pop-up store, you know, today with the amount of data that they have, those experiential pop-up stores aren't just, you know, a, 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 a tent out in the parking lot uh, with some guys with a fold-up table. They become real experiences. We're, we're seeing some pop-up or pop-in stores that are over the top. I mean, where they're painting whole buildings and, uh, they really are investing in something that it was, you know, com completely not unexpected. Yeah, look, I think I think brands and have to realize that there's not a one size fits all approach, right? I mean, you know, at one time, right? I mean, when I was, I remember at, at Gap, I mean, it was about you had it was just about you had to have physical as many stores as you could get 
And that's what, what retailers were doing. It's open as much as you can and have as much real estate as you can. And that was how big your brand was ultimately going to grow, right? I mean, you knew exactly what a box could produce. Um, and that was it. Now, obviously, with you know, the uh, emergence of kind of online, you know, you've got an infinite um, store that's open 24 hours a day. But at the same time, your customer acquisition costs online are extremely expensive, especially if you're not a household brand, right? And, and you're not like the it brand at the time that everyone knows about. So you have to go out and spend a lot of money to acquire customers, especially when you look at, you know, at one time it was, it was easy, right? You could just go onto Facebook and you know, acquire customers at a really cheap cost. Well, you know, a lot of things have changed. You know, Facebook isn't the dominant um, um, platform you know that it used to be, and then now you look at all of you know it's gotten to a point where people are, are on different platforms shopping with diff, you know in, in through different means, and it becomes expensive to go out and to acquire those customers you know purely on, on through digital um, advertising. Has a much lower CAC, um, and and you your sometimes your conversions can be higher. So like it's like how do you balance that you know between the digital and the physical world? And I think brands are starting to realize it. Sometimes it's working with other retailers because you don't want to open up your open stores. You see that a lot more like in, in classic kind of CPG um, versus other products where you really begs you know kind of to touch and to feel. And you know, brands are opening to your point, either flagship stores or or maybe in some flagship and then opening in sec, you know, smaller locations in secondary and tertiary. But I think gone are the days for most brands where you're gonna be opening up hundreds or even thousands of stores, right? It's it's having you know those key touch points where you know customers are, and then working with other brands and creating collaborations and and then you know having a, a you know an online presence that can I think then match you know what that looks like. And so and then there's obviously a whole host of other ways, you know, through social media, through content development and, and stuff like that, you're connecting with, with companies, or excuse me, with the companies are connecting with consumers. So I think the game has changed and it's, you know, there's no one size fits all approach. And, and I don't think there's a blueprint. You have to find your own blueprint, right? You have to figure out what works, you know, best for your brand, because, you know, as I think as a, as a business owner, um, and as executives, you know your brand best and you know who your customer is and you know what works and you need to go out and find that and, and you know, not necessarily just emulate what somebody else is doing. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with it. You know, the, uh, uh, the days of just the rolling out the stores and, you know, because that's all, the, at one point that was the option people had. But today, the amount of stuff and data coming at the average buyer on a given day, it really forces us to be, you know, we used to call it guerrilla marketing, right? We had little budgets and we had to kind of create big ideas out of, out of nothing. And, you know, you rub two sticks together to make something really fabulous happen. You know, that was fun, right? And somewhere in there, I, I do believe that, you know, people got a little lazy. And the, the people that are going to win, the people that could roll out faster and more stores will be, you know, will be, uh, you know, completely connected to not just the bricks and sticks portions of it, but they're working online. They're working locally. You know, when I we used to open up Einstein Bagels, uh, every store that we opened at Einstein Bagels, the entire regional office would empty out 
and they'd be down, they, they would see how big, they, we'd, we'd go five miles down the road with signs, hey, bagels, you know, for, buy one, get one, or free bagels today. And, you know, day one, we could see how, you know, the entire office, I mean, from the regional vice president uh, uh, or the regional uh, operating president uh, to that, of that group to all the way down to the maintenance people and everybody in between would be at, at that store, waving signs, cheering people on, getting people excited. You know, those first few days of really getting a local market for people to see you, you know, that was unheard of back then. You know, you, you, you're out there, everybody kind of had fun doing it. And, you know, we, each group would try to see how big of an opening we could have. You know, this one we did, you know, 5,000. This one we did 6,000. Then we did 7,000. Then we had 9,000. And people were like, we did $9,000 worth of uh, worth of bagels. And, you know, and it just became part of the culture to do it. Now, somewhere as we start to really look at the new environment, you know, continue to look through uh, uh, different, you know, resources and ways to grow it challenges us to, you know, to do that. And I think where we got to tap into is the millennials, right? As I look at uh, the new generation that's coming up and what they're doing, they, they are untapped energy, right? I, you know, was interviewing a young man this morning and, and it was just talking about uh, his online experience and the things that TikTok, right? I, I never even thought about doing a TikTok. First of all, only thing I know about TikToks are my kids are in my, in my house dancing in front of a screen the whole time doing this, you know, they, they got this and I keep going, whatever they're doing, it seems like fun, but I have no idea how to do that. And they're like, you can make, you can, I can advertise my company on TikTok. I'm not sure how I understand how that translate. And, you know, you just start talking about it. And I'm like, there's a, there's something that at 53, I need to tap into, right? I need to be able to tap into their knowledge and their experience and then start to adapt, you know, pepper in some of my, you know, knowledge of how to, you know, be consistent and, and, and really, you know, create stuff happening and their ideas of, of new stuff. And together, there's the, there's the opportunity, right? As, as brands grow, I'm watching, you know, coffee companies grow across this country uh, and, and some of them at record speed. Um, yeah, look, you have, it goes back to knowing your customer and knowing where they're at. Right. I mean, I think you look at things like TikTok, you look at things that are popping up like the metaverse, you look at, you know, some of you know, it, the more, I say, kind of legacy at this point, like you know, Instagram and Snapchat. I mean, you know, you look and you have to understand where is your customer and where and what are they doing on those platforms and how are they engaging with product? And then you ultimately decide what that means. Right. I think a lot of times people just want to go jump in on a new shiny object. And you may not, your customer base may not even be there, right? I mean, maybe they are, you know, but you got to figure that out, you know, and I think it's happening even now, like where everyone's like, oh, rushing into the metaverse. I'm like, I've told people like, it makes sense for certain brands, right? You need to have a presence and be there, you know, maybe not selling product, but like maybe you have a storefront or, or whatever, because that works because you know that you've got a consumer there. And then other people, it's like, you have no business being there. Like you should understand what the platform is. You should, un, you should wholeheartedly go in, experience it, know what it is. But if your customer is a, you know, 60 year old female, like there's no reason for you to be going in the metaverse because they're not gonna be there, right? I mean, it's just not. Now, if you're trying to expand and, and, and broaden out who your consumer base is, maybe, but like, so it's knowing that, knowing where they're at, knowing the things they want because you either have data on that or you just have, you know, just, I think, you, I think it's having a little bit of that trial and error and dipping your toe into those certain areas. Like, I mean, when I was at, you know, when, I, when we created beta, we started with an 1100 square foot shop in, in Palo Alto, California. 
And, you know, eventually we grew to having 30 stores, you know, three global stores, two in Japan, one in Dubai. And we were always trying different things. Like, you know, we, Virgin um, Atlantic came to us and said, hey, like we want to do, you know, would you be interested in doing a pop-up inside of our, um, uh, in our club, you know, one holiday? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. Or, you know, we were, we did a pop-up in, in partnership with uh, Mary Claire because we were trying to expand our, our female, um, young female kind of, you know, customer, but it was a, a, a low risk way for us to do it. We did it, you know, as part of something that lasted for about three weeks in, in, uh, in Soho, right? I mean, so we were constantly, we were creating, um, we did a partnership with Google, you know, for in South by Southwest where we created a, a mini home and we outfitted it with like cool, you know, new technology, and we drove the thing from Austin, Texas to Portland, right? And, and then we stopped at different places. And we, had, we were constantly figuring out ways to do different things to connect with people um, in the physical realm. Um, and it was just being opportunistic, understanding, but doing things in a low-risk manner, right? And, and, and rather than, and, and constantly trying and figuring out, okay, well, if that worked, well, let's lean in on that one a little bit more. If that one didn't, then we're not going to do that, or we're going to sit back, take the learning from what we had and, and, and adapt. And I think that's ultimately what it kind of comes down to um, when you're looking at, at retail. Um, because there, like I said, there is no formula for what, what works and what doesn't. It, it's, it really is what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Well, and keep being bold about it, right? You know, the, uh, you know, take, taking those little steps where when you were young and you were broke and you just kept taking stuff you know, taking swings at it, right? You know, all of a sudden you get to be a mature company. And I think that's one of the problems is that, you know, we're too mature for that. We we can't try an email campaign like that. If someone sees us and calls us a spammer, then what will they, then what will we be, right? But when you were young and sending out emails to everybody and blasting the world, you're like, great, I can do that now. And, and all of a sudden you, you get too, you get too sophisticated for the, for the creative idea and, and, and tapping into all that, you know, right now, take, like you said, take low risk, opportunities to to put a, a you know a house on a vehicle and transport it around and and show it off you know the the thing is i don't think you i don't think you understand the outcome of that until you try it right there's there in fact in in, in trying it in 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 actually doing it other things pop up from there right other ideas sprout from there but they don't they don't sprout when you just ha you take an idea and you throw it in a box and say nah i can't do that i don't i don't think you ever i don't think you know one creative idea really spouts dozens of other ones, right? When people take on creative risk, it's not just, it, it, it becomes, it grows other creative ideas. Other people in the, in the organization uh, take risks with you. They, the other ones get brave and go, yeah, look, if, if that campaign work, well, I, here, I'm gonna go try uh, strapping. I, I'm, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna put tires on the bottom of the, of the house and drive it around. Or I, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find ways for people to integrate in the metaverse that way. You know, I, I was at McDonald's World Convention last week and they were talking about the metaverse and I'm like, well, it seems a little early to get into that, but they, they're already attacking that thing full force, right? They've got uh, you and your friends and, and they're creating gear and stuff that you can wear in the metaverse and metaverse uh, property that, you know, stuff that's uh, really creative with, with their ideas in it. And one of the ones I was thought was, it was genius was people interacting on the metaverse together in, in some interaction world, right? Where they're playing cards or doing playing games together. And then they all order uh, McDonald's and the Uber Eats folks delivered all to each person individually, and they're eating McDonald's together while playing video games. And 
you know, just think, you know, that's just adding to another order and not just one order. Now that's five, four or five orders at a time for the brand, right? That's a creative way just to incrementally grow the segment. You know, hey, look, you guys as a team can all, Eric, how much fun would it be if, if we all put orders in? You know, we were, uh, we were there and they have, they've now implemented Watson, right? They've got the Watson ordering system. So when you go to the front, uh, when you, when you go to the drive-through, you you'll have Watson answer, uh, answer you there. And, and we, we, you know, I had my kids, my kids got to go to the convention and we were trying to check it, right? They were like, we'll like to have a, a cappuccino with cheese and we'll have a, uh, well, you know, my, my, my little kids were really playing with it and Watson took our order pretty freaking amazing. And even up, you know, you can, they can work on upselling it for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And again, that goes back to knowing your customer and, and knowing where they're at, right? I, I was, um, a couple of years ago, I was, um, I hosted some McDonald's execs um, in, in one of our stores at Beta, and they were really trying to understand like how we could capture, how we were capturing a lot of data about our customer. Because I, and I found it was really interesting and I can't remember the numbers, so I don't want to sit here and, and kind of, you know, misquote or misrepresent anything, but there at the time, and this was probably 2018, 2019, you know, McDonald's was looking at Starbucks and Starbucks, you know, most people were paying, this was you know, even pre-pandemic, were paying with the app, right? So they were already making those purchases, pre-purchases, and Starbucks had tons of data and information on who their customer was. McDonald's had very little information because McDonald's tends to be more of a cash, had at the time, was more of a cash-based business, right? So somebody would come in, spend, you know, four or $5 on, on a meal and they'd pay in cash. And McDonald's had no idea who was coming in and out of their stores, especially in the United States. I think in Europe, they were, there were a lot more kiosk orders and, and they were able to kind of have um, a little bit more information. And, but in the United States, there's a very low, um, uh, had very little information on who, who was actually shopping. You know, obviously you can kind of, you know, have somebody stand there and, and do kind of, you know, uh, ethnography type of testing and figuring out who it is. But like from a capturing that, that, that data at kind of the point of purchase was very low. Um, and I think they're, they're obviously putting systems in place. I think the pandemic has helped a lot of that, you know, with, with people kind of pre-ordering and now getting in and, and being able to kind of don download that app. But it's really critical, especially to those businesses. Um, and if you're a cash-based business, I'm trying to figure that out. I think as McDonald's learned and knows who their customer is, they can do those type of things. And again, it's very low risk. And as you said, you know, you've got a bunch of kids who are now sitting there like fully engaged with the brand, playing video games, figuring out, and the metaverse is where they're congregating, right? And 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 it's like, yeah, lean in on that because you know you it's it's an area where where that where that person is and they're enjoying um, the space and and it you know it's it is it's smart, I think, marketing and, and branding. That uh, custom experience, you know, you, um, you know, we start to look at uh, the metaverse or, or customizing, you know, the changes that are, that are coming at us and the technology to run it, you know, as, as you looked at uh, custom furniture, right, uh, being able to put it into a design, uh, you know, I was looking at a, a, a group the other day that uh, could take, a, you know, to take a piece of millwork or a cabinet and fit it into a design. And as soon as everybody agreed on the design, they liked it, it actually gets shot over to the CNC and it can start cutting right from that. All the, all the sizes and measurements for that piece of furniture at that size can now get cut over to CNC to those exact specifications, right? They could see it in, in the room, uh, you know, even, even digitally be in the room 
uh, you know, kind of with some augmented reality. And you can be in there, look around and go, all right, spatially look at it, go, okay, look, that's, I got, I got, you know, this over there. And oh, I can see how that drawer is going to open. You know, I, I think that as we continue to get smarter at this, uh, those are the things that, you know, getting way more customizable, getting, uh, taking, taking the, 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 the furnitures that we're using, uh, the experiences that we're having, and, and get it to a, a even higher level. And, and I think that's the approach we have to look across the board is how can we, you know, continuously upgrade the experience on every level? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing that a lot right now, model number in the furniture space. I mean, it, it's, I think it's, and it has two, I think, large benefits. One, I think to the consumer, it's ensuring you're getting a product that you want. Um, and, you know, we talked about the, the fit, fit and everything. I think you're going to start to see that in the apparel space. You're starting to see it, you know, in, in what we're doing in, in, in furniture. There's other brands that, that are also, that have some of the technology and capability. We're really the only ones on, on the 3D printing side of it. But when you can customize things for people, return rates go down significantly, right? Which we know that the biggest expense on, <clears throat> on e-commerce right now is reverse logistics, right? It's it's when people go out and like, I don't know what size I am. So, <clears throat> or I don't know what color I want. I don't know. So I'm going to order like seven of them and I'm going to keep one or two. And you realize like, okay, you've completely eroded the margins when, especially companies, it always baffles me when I order things, you order multiple things and they show up at a different time. So like they ship them from seven different places and you've got seven packages and then you return them. And, you know, you're like, okay, wow, how much did you, they pay in shipping, which was free shipping to me, right? So you look at when you can customize things, your return rates go down significantly. Um, there's a huge sustainability component to it as well, right? I mean, you're not touching things as, as much, you're not returning things. So, uh, and then you're customizing that piece. So that at the same time, if you're making it so that it's that inventory is only for that individual, you're not holding inventory. So it changes the business. Um, you know, you're not sitting with large warehouses of, you know, thousands of units of something and then figuring out how you're going to discount it and, and creating you know, additional waste. So for us, you know, we look at it as one providing, I think, you know, a better and optimal, you know, service to, to the, to the consumer. And then also I think, you know, we have a really big mission as an organization um, to, to eliminate waste. Um, so we, we manufacture all of our products, um, you know, made to order. Um, we don't hold any inventory and we also, you use, um, you know, plant resin and, um, uh, sustainably farmed, um, products and, uh, and, and now we're starting to get into even recycled plastics as well. So, you know, you start to see that and I think, you know, consumers understand and believe when you have a mission, when you have a mission that you wholeheartedly believe in, and at the same time, you're just trying to create a better experience for them. And I think you know, ultimately at the end of the day that wins. I, same, I think it starts at home, right? I think your your team gets excited about it as well, right? When you're making environmentally impactful for, you know, furniture that not just makes the environment people live in better, but the way that you build it is is in alignment with that same that same logic, right? They can get proud of, you know, they're they're not you know poisoning the world with the stuff they're making, and I think that transitions through the the whole experience of it, right? The customer gets excited about having this piece of furniture that's theirs designed for them right and and when you walk into their house I, I know that you know that's what i want for my home is i want you to walk in this is me this is an expression of who i am right the the, the my, my life and when i want when you walk in my home i want you to feel my family i want you to feel the love in here i want you to feel the way we are and each one of those is an expression each part of those is an expression of each each 
you know, piece of furniture we pick, each uh, artwork we put in. You know, uh, when I was a kid, it was pretty much an expression of how much I could find at a flea market. Uh, today, <laughs> I'm getting a little bit more, uh, a little bit pickier about what I'm putting in. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun to keep, you know, to keep looking at that, right? Phil? I mean, the, um, uh, you know, the, those that, that as a company, you're, you're called to a higher, you're called to a higher requirement, right? You're, you're, you can't just get away with burn, burning and scorching the earth like, like companies did in the past. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you have to be, look, it ha- like you said, it has to start at kind of home. It's, it's within the DNA of the organization. And um, I think if you try to force feed it, if you try to kind of greenwash or, you know, you don't, or you lack kind of authenticity, I think consumers will see right through it. Um, and, you know, you really have to build, I think, a culture around that. And, and I think it's important, you know, for companies too, especially you see this now, like there's been a lot of movement Right. There's a lot of turnover uh, in companies um, and people are trying to find places where you know, they can have you know, greater flexibility um, within within the organization of where they work, how they work, um, you know, the shared values. Right. I mean, you know, consumers are making choices. It's definitely a buyer's market right now as, a, as an employee. And, and you know, you want to make sure that you you have the right people who you're working with every day that understand and believe in the products that, um, and, and the mission and the vision of the organization. And I think that that's really critical. And I think you're, you're finally seeing, I think a lot of companies kind of wake up to that because um, cons- because I think you know, employees already have you know, kind of realized that like life's too short. I don't want to go work someplace that I don't necessarily believe in kind of what I'm doing because I can find a paycheck, you know, in just about anywhere. Um, and uh, I think it's really, you know, important um, as you start to think about kind of building, you know, a culture within or- in an organization. Uh, and yeah, we, you know, we're really, um, I think, mission driven in, in that regard. And, and um, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, I think over the years, and, you know, I've made, mis- you know, a ton of mistakes, um, you know, and, and I think, I look, but I also have worked in a lot of great companies where I loved the culture and there were companies where I didn't like the culture of where I was at. And, and sometimes it, you know, or, you know, managers and things were toxic and you, and you take, I remember when we started beta, you know, my, my co-founders and I, we looked at, said, you know, we had worked at places like Google and, and Apple and, and Nintendo and like all of these major large tech companies, which had people experience. And we said, what were the things that we liked about these organizations? And what were the things we didn't like about these organizations? And we tried to take all of that and kind of build that into, you know, what we, what we were doing as a culture. And of course, in some areas, we, we excel, excelled in that area and in some places we failed and you make those adjustments. And I think ultimately you have to be able to do that as a company. You know, you know, watching our our evolution of, of that, you know, having employees knowing how much of that to put on, how to how to how to give them freedom, but give some guardrails, make sure that we have production value and we have uh, expectations and we have workability between teams. You know, that's the you know, I, I I find myself as a leader looking and just and going, all right. I spend more time thinking about how to keep that gel going, right? How to, how to tap into uh, the, the the millennial uh, employee that's here and, and and employees that are here and go, all right, look, you've got something I don't understand. I want to tap into that and then really f- help supporting them with the, with the stuff that they need to, you know, hone that skill and bring that skill together because ultimately I think people want some guidance and, and some support and, and making sure that uh, they don't fall off the deep end or, or you know, they, someone's got their back as they go through this. 
right? But, but making them brave and going, hey, look, it's okay. You're going to step out and we're going to make you bigger than you are. And you're going to love it. You're going to look back over your career and 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 love having d- done that. And, you know, I think for me, that's, I, I'm always looking to say, all right, how do we look at each person in our organization and have them be a contributor, even my family, right? Even the kids, I, I do believe the kids, when I, when I don't contribute to the family, they're, you know, they're lifeless and they're, and they're, they step off and they start to feel a little bit separated from it. And when, you know, my kids do the dishes at night and when they, when they, you know, I, I want them at dinner at night and we hold hands and pray and when they contribute and are part of uh, that, it, it doesn't have to be so rigid. You know, my parents were pretty rigid and uh, you know, maybe a combination of both works, right. And, and tapping into them and, and hearing their voice. Uh, same thing happens with, with our office. And I think that's, that's the fun you know, part for watching the, the pendulum swing, right? Uh, uh, today we're learning how to, you know, uh, utilize both sides of it, right? When I, when I was a kid, it was kids should be seen and not heard, right? And you kind of stuck them in a corner and every time you popped up, your parents kind of knocked you on the head and like, hey, hey, uh, yeah, you, hey, stupid, we don't need to hear from you yet. And uh, today, and by the way, that's thousands of dollars worth of therapy to unwind all that, right? <laughs> I'm spending all this time trying to figure out, all right, I had to unwind a lot of that behavior, all that teaching. <clears throat> and, um, you know, and, and now how can I encourage people in a different way? How can I bring uh, some excitement to them and encourage them and light? You know, I, 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 my wife is Greek and uh, uh, we go to the Greek Easter coming up here next week, which is my favorite ceremony. And one of my, my favorite parts of that is that uh, uh, during the ceremony, the priest walks in with a candle and then they light the, the first row, uh, they light the first row, and the first row lights the second row, the second row lights the third row, and you can watch the light as it comes back through the church. And what I find amazing about that is if we can live life that way, if we can run companies that way, if if all we do today is light, light, light someone's light and watch them light somebody else's light, and you know, we, we go companies that way. Uh, I think the same thing happens and, and the same thing happens out with our clients as we, you know, get them excited about our products and then they get other people excited about our products. Uh, you know, the, 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 that's what we're all looking for. Those, those opportunities to do that. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, I think it's, it's the way you run companies. I think it's you know, just, I think the way that, you know, I, um, I was just traveling uh, through Utah uh, when took the kids on their spring break and, and we were uh drove and we weren't like on the interstates we we're on the back roads and we were going to a lot of the national parks and stuff and you just encounter a lot of different people and um you know i think you know i travel a lot i've traveled a lot you know in the u.s as as well as um you know the world and i think you know when you have that ability to connect with people you know there's you realize that you have more in common with people than you disagree with them on right and and i think you know unfortunately right now there's there's a lot of things which you know maybe in the political spectrum, you know, there's a couple of hot button items, you know, I, I've always said I've wanted to take a, a I'd, I'd love to kind of get together and like be able to get like, you know, almost, you know, like two people from like every state, different walks of life and host a really large dinner party and basically say there's five things you can't talk about. And I guarantee you, that you would have an amazing night of all the things you do have in common and, and that you, the things you want to talk about and the uniqueness of, of I think, who we are as individuals and, and getting back to, I think, those level of connections, I think, you know, that you would realize that, you know, it, we, the common thread that I think we have in, within humanity is much greater than I think what our differences are. 
you know, when we stop and remember that we're on this lifeboat, this rock floating out in the middle of nowhere together, right? I mean, this, all the, all the yelling over stupid stuff that we do, you know, just remembering this is a lifeboat. We're all on it together. How do we all support each other and, and making sure that we divvy up things together? Uh, uh, it's going to be fun. So uh, I, I love, I love the philosophical part of this. And um, I love the development part of this. As we look at the future uh, for customization and the stuff that you're working on, what, what's the stuff that you're hedging? What's the, what's the future hedge that, uh, uh, that you're working on? Yeah, you know, I think it was interesting in a lot of the customization work. Um, we first kind of started, you know, we talked, I think you mentioned earlier about kind of a pendulum or swing. I mean, like, I remember we said, okay, let's give people every, like the aspect to like, you can customize every element of what you wanted. And, I, you know, ultimately people don't want to be able to, people don't want to build something from scratch. They kind of want the template <laughs> because when you can do too much, it overwhelms people, right? I mean, you know, and, and I think there, there is still an element of like being able to, to kind of take something about 80% of the way and then let people kind of finish up the last 20%. And so I think what with what, you know, that was one of the learning of like, okay, we don't wanna, you know, you can kind of even see behind me, there's like, we have these like 3D printed um, like bins and bases and stuff. Like at one point you could go in and there's a, you could start, build it from scratch, create the twist on it. Like people don't wanna do that. Like people don't have time. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, I mean, it's like, no, create like the catalog, create like what is there. And then if I want to go in and change it because I need a table that's a little bit longer because it doesn't fit my room, what you have, it's like you create a base model and then you let everyone say, you know what, I, I need this to be, um, instead of a four person, I need to be six or eight or 10 or 12 people because I have this or, hey, you know what, like it's, that's a little bit too wide. I need something that's a little bit more narrow, right? So I think with customization, it's creating a base where people can start. Um, and I think a lot of shoe companies have done this really cool where they'll take the base and then you can just go in and adapt what it is that you want and make it your own um, from there. So you're kind of really just, it's that last mile, so to speak, of customization rather than actually building um, building it from, from, from scratch. And I, and I feel like that's where you know, customization, you'll, you'll see it most, I think, in the companies and the brands that do that. Or mo will be most successful in that realm, and that's what we have, um, and, and that's how our, our, our operations are now set up to do that. So it's you know we work and our designers work on creating kind of the base level, and we do that both for customers um, on the residential side as well as even you know on the commercial side. We have a catalog, but we go out and people and say, "Here's what we got. You want us to create something different? We'll sit down and we'll work with you." And, and even now, like we're going to start opening kind of what we call design centers, where you know, customers can come in and sit down with a designer and work and build something that, that they need for their home, right? Or that built beats, meets their needs. Um, and like we'll have office hours, so to speak, in, in some of these design centers where you have a designer on hand, either virtually in some cases, depending on where we're located or you know, in person um, in certain markets. So yeah, that's what we really see as kind of the future uh, of engagement, especially in the furniture industry. Awesome. You know, the, uh, it's exciting having you on, Phil. I, I, I Look, brother, I love talking to you and hanging out and having dinner together. I look forward to more of that stuff and, and getting together soon. Uh, you and I got to go talk about Dubai and we'll do a whole other podcast on Dubai and uh, all those craziness uh, you know, about, about what's going on there. Let's, uh, let's uh, continue to uh, expand our conversations. I think uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, you know, personalizing, per, personalizing and uh, temp, template creating and all that stuff that you're doing over there is great. Hey, if people want to get a hold of you, where do they get a hold of you? 
Um, there's a couple different ways. I mean, I think the easiest way is uh, Philip, um, P-H-I-L-L-I-P at model-no.com. So that's Philip at model-number.com. It's probably just the easiest way for people to reach out to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of go from there. And um, you know, I'm always kind of very open and happy uh, you know, to connect with people, you know, and um, I'm also very transparent. If there's things we want to work on together, I'll let you know. If if not, uh, I'm also, you know, I, I like to return. I try to return as many messages as possible. So. Well, Philip, I got to tell you, I love hanging out with you. So uh, I'm grateful. We'll have you on the show some more. And uh, as always, brother, thanks. Thanks a lot for being on here and doing this. Uh, I'm grateful. Anthony, also uh, grateful as well. Uh, love the time we uh, spent together um, and uh, always fun chatting. I'm actually going to be in Chicago next month. So I will uh, reach out to you um, ahead of time. So cool. Heather. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegui. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.